0: Welcome to Prologues. My name is Mary, and when I get overwhelmed and start feeling behind, I find it helpful to zoom out and remind myself that I am still in the beginning of my story. I'm sharing all of my life's chapters, mental health, relationships, wellness, beauty, the chaos of being in my 20s, and all of life's unexpected turns. Prologues is the best way to start your week, so join me every Monday morning for a new entry into my digital journal. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Today's episode of Prologues was inspired by a moment from an episode a couple weeks ago. It was episode 25, which was my Getting Vulnerable and Spilling Secrets episode. And in that episode, I talked about being an angry girl. And I asked y'all, like, please, somebody tell me that you're also an angry girl. And that I found some community here. And much to my surprise, a lot of you did reach out and say that you're also an angry girl. So that's what this episode is going to be about. It's going to be about anger and trauma responses and not liking your anger and trying to calm down and managing it and handling it and all of the above. Because I had an extensive conversation about being an angry girl with my therapist yesterday and inspired me to record this. So I hope that Either this episode makes you feel seen as a fellow angry girl, or if you're not an angry girl, I am going to be talking about some lessons I've learned in therapy. And so maybe, maybe stick around. could be fun either way. Before I get into today's episode, I wanted to share something with you guys, something a little bit vulnerable. I have been struggling to be unplugged lately. I've been struggling to manage my screen time. I felt very addicted to my phone and I feel like I've been on social media too much. I've been like scrolling the For You page again, obsessively checking my Instagram, ignoring the Instagram time limit that I set on the app. Just obsessively checking my analytics and feeling down about myself and comparing myself to other people, and I've just been on my phone. I haven't been able to stay off my phone. I've been getting on my phone the second I open my eyes in the morning, and it's been setting the tone for my whole day. And it's so bad, and I just don't feel good. And last night I had a panic attack around one in the morning, and it's been it was my first panic attack in. Probably 10 or 11 months because this year I've really prioritized time offline and off my phone. And I've just been slipping lately. It's been really hard lately. I don't know why. And I had a panic attack. It was like one in the morning. I woke Matt up and he was very helpful. And eventually it just ended and I calmed down and I went back to bed and everything. But I think the two things are related because when I was on TikTok full time, and I was like scrolling the For You page constantly and feeling very addicted to it, I had really bad anxiety. And getting off of TikTok earlier this year, as a creator, as a consumer, had helped me a lot. And I've been posting a little bit more on TikTok recently, but over the summer and in the early fall, I was like getting on the app, posting my video, and then trying to just get off of it again and not scroll. Like it's really just the scrolling. And that was working fine. Like I'd get on the app, post my little video, I'd stick around for a little bit, like reply to you guys, chat, answer some questions, and then just get off. And I would stay on my profile. I wouldn't go to the For You page or the following page at all. And that was working fine for me. TikTok will never be my favorite platform, I don't think, but it was like working fine. I was feeling good. And for whatever reason, I've just been sucked right back in lately and I don't know why. And then all of a sudden I have this panic attack and it's my first panic attack almost, what is this, like all year at this point. So I think the two things are related. And I'm sharing this because I've been so open with you guys about prioritizing time offline and like I think social media is bad for us when consumed in excess and all these things. But I wanted to share just to say that I – Fall right back into it too. I don't ever want to come across as if I think I have all of this figured out because I really don't think I do. And obviously, even as someone who is mindful of the effect of social media on my mental well being and on my life, like it's designed to be addicting, I still clearly have fallen back into this rut with it as well. So it's hard. Like I know that I talk about getting off social media and prioritizing like your offline life and being unplugged, but it's literally so hard and I'm struggling with it right now. So I I'm also telling you guys this to hold myself accountable and just state that I need to get it back together basically. I need to get serious about getting off my phone again. I don't know, I just need to recenter and get this together. So I'm letting you guys know because hopefully next episode I can come back with an update and say, yes, I have been practicing some self-control and I haven't had another panic attack. I've been offline and it's been great. So I just wanted to share that. On a more positive note, I'm going to share two things I've been loving this past week. They're both Spotify related. The Spotify day lists. I don't know when those came out, but I didn't hop on the trend until just recently. I didn't even know what it was until recently. But if you go into your Spotify and you type day list into the search bar, basically Spotify creates these personalized playlists for you every day. And they, they've always done that. Like They've done the daily mixes and everything. But these are personalized themed playlists based off of your past listening habits and they have the cutest names. And it's, I don't, it feels like checking your horoscope in the morning. Like it's such a fun little thing to check. From what I can tell, there's a morning, afternoon and evening one, but there might even be more. So I'll tell you what my day list is right now at four o'clock. It's an indie chill hipster Friday afternoon. Earlier today, it was like a small town banjo afternoon. Or I'll have like cottage core forest morning and all these things. And it tells you, like, okay, so for me, it's saying indie chill hipster Friday afternoon. You listen to garage band and folk rock on Friday afternoons. Here's some mellow acoustic folk rock, modern folk indie chill music. And it's just fun because all the playlists have just the coolest names. Let me, I took a screenshot of one, so let me find another one to give you. A couple of days ago, I had a cottagecore nature Wednesday morning and it said, it made me that playlist because I listen to Mountain and Crunchy. So here's some cottagecore, nature, forest, crunchy, mountain, yearning songs. Like the way that they're categorizing these songs is just so funny. I'll get playlists that say like, here's crying, emotional writer, bookstore music. And I'm like, yes, that perfectly describes what I'm looking for right now. It brightens my day. Every single time I check it, I'm like, What does Spotify have for me today? And then the second thing is an audiobook on Spotify slash Spotify has audiobooks now. Again, has this already been a thing and I just didn't know? Like, am I so late to the party for both of these things? Spotify has audiobooks. It's a relatively small library. Like, it's way smaller than Audible, which I frequently use for audiobooks. But they have them and the library appears to be free for Spotify Premium members. It has a lot of popular books, like a lot of book talk books, a lot of self-help books, and just like the big ones that you've seen before. New York Times bestsellers, that kind of type of book. So the library seems pretty limited to me. I was looking up random books that I love just to see if they were available, and a lot of them were not. But I would say really popular books or well-known books are on there. So it's kind of nice because if you're a Spotify Premium member, you know, you don't have to buy anything extra. It's a good way to read all or listen to all of those books that you've seen before, but I've never gotten around to. So, I'm listening to an audiobook right now called The Courage to Be Disliked How to Free Yourself, Change Your Life, and Achieve Real Happiness. Ironically, I got this recommendation from TikTok as I was stuck in a scrolling doom cycle that was pretty bad for my mental health that day. But I did get this book recommendation and I've been listening to that. It's very interesting. This isn't really a book recommendation. It's more of a Spotify audiobook recommendation, but that's the one that I'm currently listening to. And then on Audible, I'm listening to like a little historical romance because I love little historical romances. And then I am reading that Richard Osmond book that I told you guys about last week. That's what's going on right now. All right, angry girls, welcome. You are safe here and you are in like-minded company. I am an angry girl. My name is Mary Skinner and I'm an angry girl. I've always been an angry girl. I think my anger is two-sided. I think part of it is just the way I am. I think I was born feisty. According to my parents, I have always had the personality that I have now. I came out of the womb spicy. I also think through working with my trauma therapist that part of my anger stems from things I haven't worked through internally yet, and I'm going to talk about that later. But first, I just want to talk about my life as an angry girl. I remember my first therapist as a teenager telling me that I had anger issues, and I didn't disbelieve him. I knew that I was an angry girl even back then. I was angry at everything. I was angry all the time. I never backed away from an argument. I never stood down from a confrontation. I've never been afraid of confrontation in my entire life. As a teenager, as someone who was undiagnosed with bipolar disorder, which I already you know, I already had, I didn't realize where my anger was coming from. And I, as a teen, I didn't really know how to emotionally regulate. And it's still something I work on a lot, but I'm a lot better at it now than I was back then. And I was an angry girl. Sometimes that was a good thing. Sometimes it was a bad thing. It was a bad thing because I picked a lot of arguments. It was a good thing because I, I did know how to advocate for myself. And I think my anger served me and hurt me in different ways. An example of how being an angry girl helped me as, as a younger person was this one time when I was in community college and I had to advocate for myself with the administration So the story behind this is I started community college when I was 17. It was my last year of what would have been high school. Obviously, I was homeschooled. So it was my senior year of what would have been high school. So I guess I was 17 years old. And I started going into community college so that I could get credits for college. I was dual enrolled. And I was in this history class. And this was my first semester, so I'd never really been in classroom environments ever before. I was homeschooled my entire life. I had to learn for the first time how to be in a communal learning environment. And I had classmates for the first time. I had a teacher, you know, a professor for the first time, and it was a lot. So I was in this history class, and I did really enjoy it. But towards the end of the semester, the teacher kind of ghosted everybody for a while, and we were coming up into the finals season and no one had test scores from previous tests. No one knew where they stood in the class going into the finals. No one knew it was gonna be on the final because the teacher kept not showing up to classes and there was no communication via email or Blackboard or anything We just didn't know where this person was. And I felt like it was really unfair. I was like, it's not fair for this professor to just not come to class multiple weeks in a row and to abandon this entire class as we're about to go into this final, no one knows what to do. And I especially did. I had never taken finals before. Like I didn't know what to do. So I felt like that was really unfair. And I at least just wanted communication. I just wanted an email or something so that I knew what to expect. And even as a teen, I was an angry girl. And some of my classmates weren't really going to do anything about it. It was kind of like, there's nothing to be done. Non-confrontational types, which that's not a a dig at anybody. So many times in my life, I have wished I was a non-confrontational type. And I'll talk about that too. So a lot of my classmates were just kind of accepting their fate. And I just felt like I couldn't do that. I really wanted to get good grades. And this was a big deal to me. It's like my first class, you know. So I decided to go to the dean's office and demand to be seen. They did not want to let me in. I didn't have an appointment. And then they weren't going to let me make an appointment. And I tried to explain the situation to the secretary and or secretary receptionist. I'm not sure. I tried to explain the situation to the person at the front desk and they weren't really having it. They weren't going to let me in. And so finally, I'm just like, I am not leaving this office until I speak to the dean because I am stressed about my academic situation. Like, I am not leaving. Let me speak to the dean. And so I was admitted and I had brought a couple of students from the class with me as like backup. We were admitted and we sat down and we talked to the dean and we explained the situation and the dean was shocked and he was like, yeah, that's completely unacceptable. Like, we'll figure out what's going on. I don't actually know what was going on with that professor. I sincerely hope it wasn't anything serious that like medical or an emergency that kept them from coming to the class. I'll be honest, as a teenager, I wasn't thinking about them. I was thinking about me. I was being selfish. I hope everything was okay with them, but we did end up getting some emails, getting some direction and everyone was so relieved and finals went fine. So that's an example, and I have so many of those types of examples of a time where my nature to not shy away from a situation where I'm going to speak up for myself has helped me. So many times I've been in these situations. I am not afraid to advocate for myself. I am not afraid to tell someone, you did something that hurt me. I am not afraid to say, I'm not doing this. I'm not afraid to stick to my boundaries. I'm not afraid to, you know, I'm not afraid to do these things because I'm an angry girl. But being an angry girl has so many drawbacks as well. It's not something that I am super proud of when it comes to myself. It's hard being an angry girl. I have picked a lot of fights and arguments in my life that didn't need to be picked. I have been touchy and defensive and have lashed out at people so many times in situations that didn't really call for it because I felt threatened or I just, I don't know, my nature is to be an angry girl. And so many times I've, I've done that and I've regretted it so much. I have allowed my anger to direct my actions in ways that I'm not proud of in you know over the course of my life as a teenager sometimes as an adult. I will say this is something I actively work on and have really been making an effort to address in my life and that has been working and I've really like genuinely been getting better over the last couple of years. But yeah, I have allowed my anger to control me multiple times. And if you're listening to this and that's you, I'm being like very vulnerable right now. This is a hard thing for me to admit because it's something I don't like about myself. And in a lot of those situations, I was the person who was doing something wrong. And I don't like that about myself. As a teenager, I was known to be pretty argumentative. Pretty argumentative. And... In some ways, I'm proud of that. Everybody in the religious environment, the like, if, if you are new, I grew up in an extremely toxic, high control, borderline cult, like actually by definition, pretty much a cult, Pentecostal, evangelical, fundamentalist, religious environment. and know it was like a lot of words and a lot of adjectives. It was an incredibly defining part of my life. I have a lot of trauma from it and that's why I'm in trauma therapy right at that and other, other things, but it's a big reason I'm in trauma therapy right now. It's a very hard thing to unlearn and heal from. So anyway, in this religious environment as a teen, when I started questioning things and I started pulling away and realizing the injustice and logical inconsistencies and toxic elements to what I was being exposed to I would speak out about those things I'd speak out about how I felt because again I've just never been afraid to like advocate for myself and I was known and frequently disparaged and judged and gossiped about as just being like this bratty angry argumentative rebellious subversive teenager And I was, (laughs) but that also led to me feeling like even more ostracized than I already felt because when, if someone was speaking to me and they're telling me something like, God is calling you to get married at 18 and start popping out children right away. And the fact that you want to go to college and you want to have a job at any point in your life means that like you're a horrible person. I'm obviously going to say, what the hell are you talking about? You know what I mean? Like I'm obviously going to speak up for myself and say, "That's crazy. You're crazy. I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to get married at 18 years old if I don't want to. I don't have to ever have children if I don't want to. Going wanting to go to college doesn't make me a horrible person. Like, imagine being told to your face multiple times how awful of a person you are and how you're going to hell for wanting to go to school and like pursue a career before you think about getting married. Like, I was told to my face, over and over and over and over and over again, how awful I was for that. And so if someone's telling me that, I'm obviously going to be like, shut up. Like, I don't care what you're saying right now. I know what I want to do. I want to get the hell away from here. I don't believe you. I don't I don't subscribe to the things you're subscribing to. Like, this is not me. But because I would speak out against it because I would like very actively tell people, leave me alone. Like, I don't care. I'm going to go anyway. You know, all these things. I was just never able to get, I was never able to get past that label of being like a super argumentative and like angry teenager. (sighs) Looking back, I'm not sad about it because I didn't, really want to be accepted by those people anyway. I'm glad that I wasn't accepted by them. I'm glad that my whole family has gotten out of the situation. Like I'm glad I've grown and moved on and that does not define my life anymore. But at the time when you're a teenager and this is something you've grown up in, you're going to feel terrible. Like you're just going to feel terrible to have 10 older women in the church get together in like a gossip circle after Sunday service and talk about how awful you are, you know? It's gonna suck. Maybe that's why my first therapist said I just had anger issues. I don't know. I had anger issues that weren't related to the church. That's like one example of, of me realizing I was an angry girl but it's not the only example. I grew up in a family of eight. I've got five siblings, so eight including my parents. I've got three siblings in law, I've got seven nieces and nephews, extended family, like big, big family. I think when you grow up in a big family, you either are half you're either a doormat or you are a yeller pretty much. <laughs> my family was like a yelling family, and I didn't realize until I was older and I had moved out that like some people just don't raise their voices. For me in my family, a raised voice didn't mean anything necessarily. I have come to realize in my adult life that for a lot of people, a raised voice by itself is like a threatening thing or a sign that the situation isn't safe or a sign that the person raising their voice is angry at you, etc. This might sound crazy to anybody listening who either is not from a very large family or who just didn't grow up in this type of environment. But like my family yelled, my family raised their voices and it wasn't a sign that things were unsafe. I didn't grow up thinking that. And so I learned to be loud. I learned to assert myself. If you're at the dinner table and there's eight people talking to each other, if you would like everyone to listen to you, or if you were trying to like get a parent's attention or you have something you need to say, you have to be loud and assertive and you need to be like, okay, like I need everybody's attention because I have to say something. You just learn these things. And that's, I think that's another reason maybe why I grew up kind of an an angry girl because I had to learn how to be very self-assured and assertive in order for anyone to hear me ever. (laughs) I have some siblings who are more calm, kind of personality types, more mild-mannered, and I admire them a lot for that. I wish I had that quality. I have friends who are also just calm keep the peace, mild-mannered people, and I admire that. I wish I had that. (laughs) I wish I didn't have to spend like years and years and years of my adult life unlearning these negative, toxic, emotionally reactive tendencies that I have. I wish I was a naturally mild person, and I'm just not. (laughs) As I said, I think my anger comes from different places. I think I was born like this. It was exacerbated by living in a big family and like learning to be loud and assertive. It was exacerbated by childhood trauma and constantly being in situations where I did feel unsafe and did feel threatened. And I had people telling me, I don't want to get into the, I need to make a religious trauma episode. I just don't want to yet because I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through it. And I don't know if I could ever have enough words to express like, the, the gravity of, of that situation in my life or how complicated it is, how complex it is. I've been in therapy for years about it and I still feel like I'm making discoveries. I don't know. I don't wanna get bogged down in the religious thing, but that that is an element to being an angry girl for me. So this is something that has been present in my life for as long as I can remember. I didn't really realize until adulthood that this was something I really needed to address. I knew that it made me feel shitty. I knew that after situations where I would have an angry reaction when I didn't need to, I would feel very bad about myself and feel very guilty and ashamed. And, you know, I have spent a lot of time in my life apologizing to people very sincerely for having, for being reactive when I shouldn't have been. And as an adult, I kind of realized, where is this coming from? Like, where is this coming from in me? Am I just a terrible person? like that's a possibility. Am I just a bad person? Am I just like a shitty, toxic person? Am, is this a trauma response? Am I ignoring something in my psyche that needs to be addressed and needs to be worked through? That could be it. Is this just who I am? Is it impossible to change? Am I going to be like this forever? Am I in the right? Like if, If on one side I have to consider the possibility that I might just be a shitty person, wouldn't the other side of that possibility be like, I'm in the right and other people are wronging me? It's very tempting to believe that, isn't it? It's likely very untrue. I feel like very, very rarely (laughs) is it true where you're in the right and everybody else is wrong. But yeah, I, I just started asking myself these questions. So recently I've really been exploring this in therapy. Therapy is interesting because sometimes you'll you'll pick up issues and you'll spend a few weeks talking about them and working on them, and then you'll, you'll put them down for a while, move on to something else, and then you'll go back and forth. And recently I've picked up this anger issue, and it, I'm really glad I did. I'm really glad I've been talking to my therapist about this. I've learned a lot, and I want to share a lot of things with you guys about what I've learned about anger, my own anger, anger in general because it's helping me. It's helping me understand myself. It's helping me offer myself a little bit of grace and it's encouraging me to heal and change because the goal is always to evolve and be a better person. Yesterday, my therapist and I talked about anger as a trauma response pretty extensively. And I knew that that was a thing. I knew that was possible. I didn't really know how it functioned though. And I learned from my therapist that sometimes anger is this trauma response to feelings of being unsafe and perceived threats that may or may not exist. And that spur of the moment impulsive desire to lash out or regain dominance in a conversation or make a cutting remark can be, not always, but can be this response to what your body and your mind has perceived as a threat. So if you're in a conversation and someone has said something that makes you feel threatened or unsafe, you could have a bunch of different responses. I learned about, I knew about fight or flight, but I also learned about the other two, which are freeze and fawn. Some people say there are five, My therapist and I were talking about four, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. We know what fight is. (laughs) If you are resonating with the angry girl episode so far, chances are you are pretty familiar with the fight response. There could also be a flight response, like I need to get out of this situation. I'm unsafe. I need to escape. I need to get out of here. I need to change the topic. I need to appease the person. Like I need to get out of this situation that's making me feel threatened or then you could freeze. I had a situation this year where I felt like I was being threatened and I just froze, which was kind of unusual for me. I literally just sat there and felt a little bit numb and struggled to understand what was going on in that moment and didn't really start processing it until days later, to be honest. Still kind of processing it. I just froze. Never really happened to me before. And then there's also fawn. Fawn is more of that appeasement behavior. It's kind of people pleasing. It's like, oh, this person is mad at me. Let me get back on their good side. Let me diffuse the situation. I'm like, I need to get back on their good side. It's people pleasing. I don't think I fawn very much. I don't think I fight very much. Mostly a fight girl, apparently a freeze girl now too but I'm working on getting rid of that fight. I learned that your body and mind's goal with these fight, flight, freeze, fawn trauma responses, they're all different ways that your body is trying to return to homeostasis. When something activates your trauma response, your central nervous system flares up, it activates. And your body just wants to return to a regulated state And so these are ways that the body tries to do that. Your body wants to evade danger. It's this primitive, not primitive, it's this instinctual response to protect yourself, to get out of danger. And my therapist was using that example that you've probably heard. You know, if your ancestor realized they were being hunted by a wild animal, what are they going to do? Like they have to protect themselves, they have to fight, they have to flee, you know, they have to get out of there, they have to go back to a safe state. And we still do that, although we're doing it under different circumstances now. I've never been hunted by a wild animal, so I'm trying to regulate my nervous system in different environments. The hard part about trauma is that when you get triggered, it doesn't necessarily mean that there actually is a threat. Sometimes you just get triggered because something has reminded you of the trauma or cause you to think about the trauma, but the trauma isn't actually present, like it's not happening again. The same thing isn't happening to you, you're just reminded of it. So your nervous system is activated, but there isn't a threat, but you still have the response. And I learned that that is likely a reason why multiple times in my life, I've gone into fight mode why I have lashed out, why I have been defensive or reactive. My body perceived a threat. My inclination is to go, is to fight. I was triggered by something and I reacted because I was trying to defend myself. I was trying to get back to a state of feeling safe and secure. So I'm listening to my therapist talk about all of this yesterday and I'm thinking, okay, so there's fight, flight, freeze, fawn what are you supposed to do what am i striving for like none of these sound like particularly healthy responses so what am i supposed to do and she told me that the goal here is to self-regulate is to honor your feelings but also recognize when danger and a threat isn't actually present and i said okay how do i do that like sometimes in therapy I love therapy. I love my therapist. She's so helpful. And I've been in therapy for years, but sometimes in therapy, I'm listening to them, tell me what I should do. And I'm like, yeah, but I need a to-do list. Like I need actionable steps. I don't, I hear what you're saying, but like how, literally how do I do that? Okay. So she told me a couple things. Most of these I was already familiar with because I feel like trauma therapy involves a lot of the same techniques across the board. So step one would be identifying the trigger and identifying the trauma and just being aware of it. Why do I feel like this in this moment? What did this person say? What happened in my environment that has triggered me and made me feel like I'm not safe? It's hard to do that without acknowledging trauma or being honest with yourself. So I need to do that. I need to continue to work through trauma from my childhood. I need to continue to be very honest with myself about my tendencies and my patterns. I need to notice my patterns, which makes a lot of sense. And then I need to work on self-regulating. I need to be able to tell myself, okay, I'm feeling activated. I'm feeling threatened, but there isn't actually a threat. And so I'm going to calm down. I'm going to return to my safe state without fighting, fleeing, freezing, or fawning. So easier said than done. I'm still not 100% sure how I'm meant to be doing this. Like, to be honest, I'm going to talk about in therapy again next week, I guess, and just ask again, okay, how do I do that? I think a good technique is going to be to practice mindfulness. I think mindfulness is the answer to like so many things. But I think mindfulness is probably going to help just trying to be really aware in the moment Of what i'm feeling listening to my body's responses listening to when my body is trying to tell me like i don't feel safe thinking before i speak yeah i'm sure you've heard the whole before you say something take 10 deep breaths thing which i always kind of rolled my eyes out but damn like sometimes you need to take 10 deep breaths seriously (laughs) i will often find Now, like me in the last, I would say like eight, 10, 12 months or so, as I've been really working on this, my first thought and my first reaction in a situation will be something I'm not proud of. But then if I just, I give it like a couple deep breaths, I let my mind clear, I just try to recenter myself. I will realize that there's a different solution that will work better for everybody involved. The key is just giving yourself enough time to get to that realization, which is hard. So thinking before I speak, continuing to work through my triggers, identifying my triggers, being mindful. This is what I'm going to be doing. This is what I have been doing, what I'm going to continue to do, and obviously still talking about it with my therapist. But this is my plan for how to address the negative parts of being an angry girl. I will say, I don't think it's all bad. I don't hate every part of it. I like that I can stand up for myself. I'm proud of the fact that I can advocate for myself and for other people. I'm proud of the fact that I'm not afraid to say to somebody, you hurt my feelings. Your behavior towards me is not something I'm gonna allow in my life. I like that I can say, you crossed a boundary, or this is my boundary, please don't cross it. And I've spoken to friends before who are naturally non-confrontational people, and it's funny because I've said to them, this has happened multiple times, I've said to them, I wish I was more like you. I wish I didn't feel angry. I wish my mouth didn't get me into trouble. I wish, I wish, I wish. And several times, different non-confrontational friends have told me, yeah, but I wish I had more of your side of it. I wish that I could speak up for myself. I feel like a doormat all the time. I, my friends have told me before that they have left situations where they needed to speak up for themselves and they didn't. And then they feel bad about that. Like, I'll feel bad if I feel like I was reactive, but they'll feel bad for not saying enough. So I don't think it's all a bad thing. I think it's just about finding that balance. I think it's about realizing when you don't need to say anything. It's just not necessary to say anything. And also knowing when the right time to speak up for yourself is. I think, or I hope, that I can continue to work on and address areas in my life that need it. I think, I hope, that I can continue to become a less reactive version of myself and, and heal and address my trauma and work through my triggers and not feel so triggered anymore in different situations and, you know, manage it, just manage it, just acknowledge it and manage it. But I hope that I always continue to know how to advocate for myself and other people and stand up for myself because I like that part of being an angry girl. I'm thankful for that. At the end of the day, if I really think about it, I do think I'd rather be an angry girl than someone who couldn't handle confrontation. Also, I know this is a less relatable side of it, but if anybody is listening to the episode right now who is also... Diagnosed with bipolar disorder, then you likely know that anger can be a manic symptom. If you're going through a manic episode, that can also come with pretty intense bursts of irritability and anger. And that's definitely the case for me, too. I've had some couple manic episodes in my life where that has been the reason why I've had these angry responses. And I, I know that it's kind of tricky. Mania is very tricky and I think it's extremely misunderstood. I would love to have a therapist on the podcast talk about mania because I think people misuse the word manic a lot. If you experience like clinical mania, you know how debilitating it is and how truly awful it is. So that's a little bit tough because when it comes to anger as a manic symptom, I'm still not 100% sure how to address that. I take my meds. I go to therapy. I manage my bipolar and OCD and anxiety in the ways that I know how to, but when it comes to specifically the anger part of mania, I don't have a plan for that yet. I'm not, I'm not sure what to do about that yet. So I just wanted to throw that out to any bipolar girls or anybody. <laughs> I always say girls. I mean, girls for the girls. And I also mean girls in a gender neutral way. You're, you're just my girls. Like, I don't care who you are listening to this. If you're, if you're one of the Prologues girls, you're just like, you're one of the girls, <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah, I just wanted to say that for anybody who's listening who might also be bipolar, I recognize that when it comes to mania, it's like pretty fucking complicated because trust me, been there, been there, done that. I understand. When I posted that episode a few weeks ago and talked about being an angry girl, I felt so comforted and seen and understood by everyone who reached out and said that they were also an angry girl. It's something that I felt ashamed of a lot of times in my life. It's, I've been embarrassed. I've, you know, like I said, I, I know that I've been in situations where I did something wrong because I couldn't control my anger response. And so it makes you feel alone. It makes you feel, it makes you feel like a shitty person, okay? It makes you feel like you're a bad person when you can't regulate your emotions. So I felt really seen by everyone who reached out. And I wanted to just personally thank you for telling me about your experience because it made me feel a lot less alone. My goal with this episode is to do the same thing and to give that feeling back to the angry girls who are listening. I want you to know that I understand how hard it is and how much you can hate yourself for it, but also how complicated it is because sometimes you love it, but you're also trying to heal, but you're also like, fuck, you just like can't control it or you just need, I don't know. I get it. Okay. And I just want you to know that you're not the only person going through this, especially if you're the only angry girl and you have like a group of mild mannered friends. It all like you just feel too much. You just feel like you're too much and you just wonder what's wrong with you. And you just wonder why you can't be like them. And I get it. Okay. I fucking get it. Just like last time, if you are a person who has struggled with anger, I would love to hear about it. I would love to talk about it. I'd love to introduce a segment to the podcast where I read listener stories. It could be funny, like I'm thinking funny episodes, but also, you know, deeper, more meaningful topics like this one. I think I'm really glad that I get to share my story and my experiences. And I feel lucky because I get to read what people send me. But it occurred to me that everyone doesn't get to read or or hear what everybody else is saying because it's coming to me. And so I would love to introduce a segment where I just read your stories and we talk about other people's experiences besides mine, because I know y'all are tuning in every week to hear me talk about myself, which is insane. (laughs) Thank you so much for doing so. And as always, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Prologues, my digital journal. I hope your Monday is going well, and I am wishing you all the best for the upcoming week. I hope that you are able to be with the people you love during this kickoff to the holiday season. To my fellow people who go full-blown Christmas mode the day after Thanksgiving, I see you. I hear you. I feel you. Next time we speak, it's Christmas time, okay? And I'm really excited about that. So thank you so much for listening. I appreciate everyone who listens, all of you, so, so much. And I will talk to you very soon. All right. Bye.